0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'll be reading from Acts chapter 9, uh, from verse 1 to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out moderate threats against the Lord's disciples. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tassos named Saul for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the army has done to your holy temple in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call him your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and your kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. I'll just say a short prayer before Steve comes up. Oh God, we really, really want to hear your voice as Steve gives today's talk and reflection. And I pray that we'll experience once and again that personal encounter with Jesus.
1: Amen. Amen. Great. Well, nice to be with you and hoping to be with you next week in, uh, in person. Today, we look at uh, one of the most famous, uh, well, the most, sorry, famous conversion story in church history. Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road, a man full of hatred and anger, who after his conversion became the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of all time a man full of grace and love. Even today, in our culture, people might refer to having a Damascus Road experience. Uh, They talk about some kind of remarkable event that happened or turnaround or some enlightenment that they had, you know, life turned around for them. And uh, so it has an enduring legacy, this story. And one of the great lessons of Paul's conversion story is this. It's not that we're pursuing Jesus, but that he's pursuing us. And we have to decide how to respond to Jesus's pursuit of us. So we're gonna think about Saul's story and then we're gonna think about our own stories and how we apply it. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, I think this will be helpful for you. So let's think about it in four ways. The four ways we're gonna think about it is uh, the person he was, verses one and two, the person he met, uh, verses three to five, the person he became, verses six to 16, and the family he joined at the end of the passage there. That's where we're going. So let's think about the person he was. We learn a number of things about Saul from uh, the opening verses about who he was. First of all, he was full of hatred and anger. I mean, he wanted to kill Christians or at least imprison them. And uh, he was on his way to do that. Secondly, he was fanatical about it. Uh, In in other words, his persecution of Christians was uh, very calculated. so he got letters and got the authorities to sign off on his plans to go and imprison the the Christians uh, in Damascus. Um, No stone had been left unturned. Nothing was going to stop him. He wanted to stop this cult. He wanted to snuff out the heresy of Christianity and stop it getting off the ground. That was Paul's aim and he was fanatical about that. Many years later in his first letter to his then spiritual son Timothy, He would describe himself like this to Timothy. He said, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, the worst of sinners. So Saul had a very hard heart. That was who he was. So why? Why was Paul so angry? Why was he so hardened of heart? Well, we can all testify that our strongest emotions come out when we personally feel threatened. And when we personally are going to lose something precious to us, that's when our emotions get so fanatical as psychologist Carl Jung has pointed out fanaticism is always found in individuals who are trying to compensate for secret doubts. So thirdly, therefore, we learn about Saul that he felt deeply threatened by this new Christian movement that was gathering momentum. He may have looked self-confident on the outside in his anti-Christian militancy, but inwardly there was a war going on. He was full of doubts. So what were these inner doubts? What was this conflict that was going on in the life of Saul? We definitely know of three because he writes about them later. The first one is he lacked peace. From his later writings, as he reflects on being a strict Pharisee. And he knew all the laws and he'd obeyed all the laws. He talks about his external righteousness, he says to the Philippian church was faultless, but he didn't have assurance and peace. Despite all his efforts at being good, he wasn't sure if he was good enough. And so his conscience tugged at him. He lacked peace, assurance. The second thing is he lacked power. Not only did he lack assurance of peace that he was right with God, despite his moral life, He lacked power to live according to the laws of God that he knew better than anyone else. Because as a Jew, he'd memorized the Old Testament, or a lot of it anyway. He'd studied under the great Jewish rabbi Gamaliel, we learn in another part of the book of Acts. And uh, even though he knew what God's will was, he knew what it was in Romans chapter 7 to be able to say, I'm unable to do the thing I know I should have to do he says that it's a personal testimony of his life as a Jew i lacked power i knew what i should do i just couldn't do it his moral discipline hadn't changed him so paul lacked peace and he lacked power and those two internal uh, conflicts were compounded by a third thing the witness of the christians he so hated do you remember paul or saul i should say had been there when stephen was murdered and he'd approved to the killing and in fact he'd facilitated the killing of Stephen by gathering the coats of those that threw the stones as Stephen was stoned to death and yet what did Saul see in the face of Stephen? Peace and power. Do you remember as the stones were hitting Stephen's face what did it say? His face shone like an angel As the stones were ripping, like blood was pouring out of his mouth, you can imagine a stone would have hit his mouth and Stephen's mouth would have burst open. And what did his mouth say? Father, forgive them. The very thing that Saul lacked, peace and power, Stephen had witnessed in abundance, the courage, the compassion. It impressed Saul, but because it impressed him, it deeply threatened him because he lacked those things so in acts chapter 26 later in the book when saul is giving his account again of becoming a christian a jesus follower before king agrippa he talks about how he was kicking against the goads or jesus says that to him and a goad is a sharp instrument used to prod cattle to keep cattle moving forward so saul is like a stubborn mule who refused to respond to the sharp prodding that he was feeling inside, a lack of assurance, a lack of power, the beauty and courage of these Christians he so hated. And yet instead of responding to, the, to this goad that was saying, come on, turn around, Saul just kicked harder against it. But that only meant that the inner conflict was ratcheted up again and again. But here's the implication. In Acts chapter nine, On the road to Damascus, Saul already knew that Jesus was after him, that Jesus wanted him, that Jesus was prodding him and pricking him and pursuing him, and Paul was resisting and he was kicking against those sharp goads, and the inner turmoil in Saul's life was building up. And Saul was not the first, nor will he be the last person, to put up a front of antagonism against Christianity while inwardly finding himself irresistibly drawn towards it jesus the hound of heaven pursuing you coming after you tugging at your conscience if you know that now christian or not you sense him he's got you don't resist whatever it is stop kicking against those goads. it doesn't get easier you have to give in and that's what happens next so the person he was two let's look at the person he met in verses three to five Saul knew about Jesus about Jesus that's the key because he'd heard the testimonies of the Christians some of them as they died but now he encountered Jesus there's a difference isn't there knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus a sign of true conversion is it stops being just this I think I know about him and some facts To I know him and notice what Saul calls, uh, what, what Jesus calls to Saul. He says twice his name, Saul, Saul. That's how Jesus starts this encounter. He wants Saul's attention, it's personal. He's calling his first name. And he says to him, he, he asks him a question, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? If you've ever read the accounts of Jesus in the, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will know that when Jesus meets people on earth, He typically does two things, well, he often does two things, he calls them by their name and he asks them a question. As in heaven, so on earth. When Jesus engages with someone, he says their name and he asks them a question. This is personal. Now, Paul probably didn't, Saul, excuse me, I keep going to do that this talk, aren't I? Saul probably didn't think of himself as persecuting Jesus when he was persecuting the church. Yet later in his writings, particularly to the Ephesian church and the Corinthian church, one of the favorite ways Paul liked to describe the church was as the body of Christ. You persecute Christians? You persecute the church? You're persecuting Jesus because it is his body. He feels it. Jesus feels it. And so notice how Saul addresses Jesus. He says, Who are you, Lord? And Luke uses the word Lord eight times in the 19 verses that we just read. Later, when Jesus speaks to Ananias in a vision to give him the daunting job of welcoming this Christian hater into his life, how does Ananias respond? The same as Saul, yes, Lord. To call Jesus Lord is to take orders from Jesus. Whatever Jesus says, I do, whether I like it or not. Whether my culture tells me it's right or wrong, whether it affects my personal circumstances or future, when Jesus tells me to do something, he's Lord, and so we obey. That's what Ananias and Saul tell us about the man they met. You want to know if you're converted? Do you take orders from Jesus? Would you find excuses and find workarounds and twist the bits of the Bible that don't quite fit with your desires and circumstances and needs? And if you're reading God's word and it calls you to, to believe a certain thing or to, to live a certain way, and do you believe and obey or do you sort of wriggle sometimes? Someone who follows Jesus has had a real conversion experience, gives up control. You're Lord. Many people today want to know Jesus as Saviour. Get rid of the guilt know that i'm unconditionally loved hallelujah many people today want to know jesus is the prince of peace the one that gives them peace in all circumstances hallelujah many people today want to know jesus as their helper helper to understand their purpose and meaning and find satisfaction in life hallelujah many people don't want to know jesus as lord what you learn here And throughout the whole of the new testament is jesus cannot be your savior he cannot be your peace and he cannot be your helper if he's not first your lord you have to give up your life to find it you have to surrender to be empowered you have to lose yourself to find it that's what saul discovered so we've looked at who he was we've looked at who he met the lord he had to give up and surrender and as he surrendered he found life look who he became the person he became, verses six to 16. The first thing we learn about Saul is that he was humbled or softened. You know someone has encountered Jesus, that they soften inside. He didn't eat or drink for three days. He was fasting and fasting as a sign of repentance and mourning and contrition. He'd given up his pharisaical pride and control. Someone who encounters Jesus is always softer. You see it. I had a quite a profound encounter with Jesus when I was 15 quite unexpectedly he was pursuing me I I wasn't pursuing him when I was on a church weekend away and I was 15 years old and uh, I was sharing in front of the church and uh, the Holy Spirit came on me in a rather remarkable way that I'll never forget and it was it was kind of a profound surprising experience to me what was interesting is that years later I was reflecting on this sort of casually with my dad in conversation and he said oh oh and he called me Stephen oh Stephen we knew you You'd had a deep encounter with the Lord because you started to wash up. I'll never forget that comment. I'd softened, and therefore I'd softened in the home, and therefore I offered to wash up the dishes. And I was probably kinder to my mom. And in other words, an encounter with the Lord always ends up with you being softer in your relationships and in life. It's not so much have you had a supernatural happening around you like Saul had, it's have you had a supernatural happening within you. That has softened the hardness of your heart. Secondly, Saul is given a new purpose. Verse fifteen, he, God says to or Jesus says to Ananias, "This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel." Now, for sure, the apostle Paul had a unique role in salvation history that none of us are going to have. He was the apostle to the Gentiles and his writings became New Testament scripture, the word of God. Galatians 1 tells us he was chosen from his mother's womb for this very task to be this authoritative apostle in the life and founding of the church. Paul is unique and we, none of us are going to give in that role. There's no apostles like Paul today around. But whatever, whenever someone truly encounters Jesus, they do discover a purpose for their life that they didn't have before. Your values change, your desires change. You catch a vision for God's heart, for the world, for the lost, for the poor, for the needy, for the church. Paul would go on to write about that if we're in Christ, he's going to say, We're a new creation. He says, The old has gone, the new has come. He's going to say, We've died. He's going to say to the Roman church, We've died to the old way of life. We've been raised to a new way of life. One of the things I most remember as Jesus relentlessly pursued me over many years. I didn't have one big moment like Saul. I did have some key moments like the one I just described, but mine was more of a gradual journey with, with some defining moments. But over many years, as Jesus prodded me and pricked me and came after me and stopped me saying, stop kicking, Steve, stop kicking to me, and he deepened my understanding of what it meant to call him Lord, each time I discovered a greater purpose for my life. I remember, just to keep the story from that weekend away encounter with Christ that I had, I was on the bus the next day. It was a Sunday It happened. The next day, Monday morning, eight o'clock in the morning, same bus. The 11A in Birmingham in the the West Midlands part of of England. Uh, Same same schoolboys talking about the same thing schoolboys talk about. Same journey to school. done it hundreds of times. I was different. My mind was electrified. My eyes had been opened. My heart was pounding. Jesus had got hold of me. I had a purpose. I was going to serve Jesus today in school. That was my purpose. Has that happened? Thirdly, a key to understanding that you've been given this new purpose is that you're willing to suffer for Jesus. We're going to look at this next week, but the persecutor becomes the persecuted. And uh, when speaking to Ananias, Jesus says he's going to have to suffer lots for my name. I'm talking about Paul. A sign that you've been transformed by Jesus and surrendered to him as Lord is you're willing to suffer. You're willing to inconvenience yourself. You're willing to lose your reputation with your circle of friends. You're you're willing to, whatever it is, you're willing to do it because he's now Lord. The peace and power that Saul had lacked in his early life, he now had in abundance through the Holy Spirit. Where there was once intolerable pride, now there was humility and internal softening of the heart. Even, you know, Proud schoolboys like me can learn to wash up in the home. That's the power of the Spirit. Where there was smug Pharisaical self-righteousness, now now there was a consuming desire to know the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith. Where there was once moral impotence, now there was power that came through the Holy Spirit, not just to know God's law but to obey it joyfully. The old had gone, the new had come. Saul was a new man. And not only was he transformed internally, something had wonderful had happened outside as well. He joined a new family. Ananias is one of the most unsung heroes in the Bible. Some of us don't even know about him. He was naturally reluctant to obey Jesus's command to find Saul because he knew the reports about Saul. Isn't Saul coming here to persecute people like me and put me in prison? Why do I want to go and find him? You can understand why Ananias was reluctant. And, you know, that's helpful. You want to call Jesus Lord? You can wrestle with Jesus. You can protest. You can have questions. You can go, really? I'm not sure. Is that what you're calling me to? I don't know. You can struggle and protest. You can find it hard at times to obey, take orders from Jesus. That's all natural. But after you've wrestled and protested and, and worked through it and realized, no, this is what God, what Jesus is asking of me, then like Ananias, you have to take the order and you have to go. And for Ananias, it meant you've got to go to find Saul you've got to welcome him and pray for him and so I want you to pay specific attention particularly to what Ananias does in verse 17 it says this placing his hands on Saul he said brother Saul what does he do he touches him real sign of familial love isn't it when you get a hug and he says brother what are the kindness of those words this man had come to persecute him a day earlier, he would have been called a persecutor. Now he's called a brother. It's amazing when Christ transforms someone. They move out to in immediately when it happens. This is a welcome into a family. This must be music into the ears of Saul. The arch enemy of the church was a brother. The dreaded fanatic was a family member. The conversion was completed and sealed, as is always the case in the New Testament, within waters of baptism. Verse 18. Saul belonged not just to Christ, but to Christ's church and baptism marked that out. What would become the great hallmark of Paul's ministry? Planting and caring for new churches, communities of Jesus' followers and his deep love for the brothers and sisters throughout the world. The bitter and hardened hater of Christians became the great lover and apostle of the church. A sign that you've been truly converted and that Jesus is your Lord, is that you have a special affection for other Jesus followers. None of us are perfect. The church is full of errors and we make many blunders, of course. But when God opens your eyes, not only do you see him clearly and his beauty, you do see a beauty in the church and in your brothers and sisters, and you're drawn to them with deep affection and longing. It's a sign of true conversion. So that's Paul's story. The man he was, he was angry, he was bitter, he was dealing with this internal war within him because he lacked the peace and the power that he saw in the lives of the Christians he hated. The man he met, well, it was Jesus. And he knew him personally and he knew he'd been pursuing him personally and he then came to know him as Lord and start taking orders from him. The man he became, well, he was softened. He was given a new purpose. He was willing to suffer. He'd become a new creation. And the family he joined, He had a new affection for the brothers and sisters around him, and he was welcomed immediately as an equal. Does this kind of stuff happen today? Has it happened to you? Just recently, and I just literally just finished this book, I uh, read a book called A Change of Affection, a gay man's incredible story of redemption. This man, uh, Beckett Cook, he describes how he wandered away from God and the church and his family, as he came to terms with his sexuality. And he ended up living life as he'd always wanted in Hollywood and he had a big role in Hollywood. He had glamorous friends, he said, and extraordinary experiences. You should read the book, page 77. He enjoyed what he was doing and he was very well compensated, he earned a lot of money. He'd made his mark in Hollywood. He knew a lot of the most famous actors that you and I and actresses you would know. He even went on holiday on their boats and in their beach houses with them. The screenplays he were involved in was getting sold, his movies were getting snagged, and he was extremely well respected in his field. And he was able to channel his position, his passion, and his money into championing the LGBT cause and the pride parades and everything else that happened in the in the 90s and noughties in the Californian area and New York. And he enjoyed a number of meaningful, meaningful relationships with other men. And he talks about how he struggled with his family and he wouldn't go back for family Christmases because of the shame and the challenge of of the dynamic that he that he had and he talks very good well about that but he says page 85 lurking underneath it all deep in the recesses of my mind and heart was a longing that had yet to be satisfied he had the internal war he felt the goat he knew Jesus was pursuing him. he didn't he didn't express it like that he had it all but he didn't have enough and he recounts, he meets some Christians during a public Bible study, you know, at a cafe, and he couldn't believe they had all their Bibles out. He just was astonished, like, what the heck are they doing selling the Bible in California, you know, in Hollywood, out on the table. And he, But then afterwards, he got in conversation with one of them, and one of them invited him to the church, and to his own surprise, Beckett was says, I ended up going to the church. And even more to his surprise, he was converted on the first Sunday he went. And then he talks about how he had the daunting task of informing all his dear liberal, progressive, atheist friends that he was now a born-again Christian. He wasn't sure any of them would speak to him again. And he recounts it like this on page 96. When I told them I had some major life-changing news, they responded with questions like, are you moving? Are you buying a house? Did you meet someone? I told them, yes, I had moved to the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. Yes, I had a new house. The house of the lord where i shall dwell forever yes i had in fact met someone jesus christ none of them beckett says in their wildest imaginations expected such answers he goes on to say that as soon as he got converted he could not control himself sharing the gospel on his film sets He just had this new power flowing through him this new purpose and when asked about being gay and and how that fitted in obviously that was a natural question all his friends had uh he said oh i found all the fulfillment i've been looking for in jesus he goes on to say my identity is no longer in my sexuality but in christ and i choose to live in a manner that is biblical and glorifying to to him he talks about foregoing sexual intimacy on earth for the sake of Christ and so as not to forego an eternity with Christ. He now has a master's degree in theology and spends a lot of his spare time speaking on homosexuality and Christianity. It's a wonderful and challenging story. I commend it to you and I commend his YouTube channel uh, to you. What are the marks of true conversion? Well, there's four, isn't there? We've seen them in Saul. We've seen them in Beckett Cook. I've seen it in my life. You feel the pursuit of Jesus prodding you. You encounter him personally. It's not about Jesus. It is Jesus. I'm face to face with him. You call him Lord and surrender everything. You just take orders. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. He's just now your Lord. And you discover a new purpose within God's family. So three applications for us as we finish today. Some of you are here today and maybe you don't know Jesus, not personally like Saul did. Maybe you've had Christian parents, or maybe in lockdown, you've, you've started to become interested in spiritual things. Lockdown did that for you, uh, but you haven't surrendered. You're kicking against the goad still. You won't give in. There's something in your life you're not willing to give to Jesus. Give in, give up the agony of resisting him. Call him Lord. And come and speak to us about that and we'll talk about baptism it's worth it it's the best life you give up your life you save it that's if you're not a Christian here today I urge you to do it secondly for those of you that are Jesus followers as you look at Saul's conversion can I encourage you not to doubt your own if you don't have such a dramatic experience what I mean is it's not about whether something dramatic has happened around you it's where there's something dramatic has happened inside you and you are softened. you're softened, and you have a new purpose, and you're willing to take orders from Jesus, Jesus and you have a love for his church and his brothers and sisters. Thirdly, though, this is the application for us all. This is what we've got to do in our culture today. We've got to actually be more like, well, the stories about Saul. I want to finish with Ananias. Whoever the Lord decides to draw to himself, christ city church must be there to receive as a brother and sister whoever whoever jesus calls to himself Doesn't matter what culture they're from doesn't matter background doesn't matter what they've done doesn't matter your personal prejudice they're our brother and sister once they know jesus as lord and so don't say look my circle of friends that person couldn't get converted my family my office my name how dare you say to jesus they would never become a christian when jesus wants someone he draws them. No one's too bad. No one's too hard. No one's too angry. No one's too logically persuaded that Jesus can't call. So keep praying, keep witnessing, and let's all be open to receiving. If a mass, if a murderer and a mass persecutor of the Christian church today in Dublin started coming to Christ City Church because they said Jesus is Lord, would we welcome them? Would they be accepted? Would they feel welcome? Would they, would they feel our hugs and our brotherly and sister affection. Our culture is moving further and further away from Christian values. It can feel very threatening being a Christian in 21st century Dublin incarnate. It? It, it can be intimidating. Saul was intimidating to the Christians of his day. But when Jesus calls angry, antagonistic, liberal, progressive, secular, anti-Christian people whoever else, we need to be there to welcome them home as brothers and sisters. So be open, keep praying, keep witnessing, and let's welcome whoever God brings. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing to finish. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are in the business of pursuing people, the most unlikely people. We thank you, Lord, that there is no one too bad, no one too hardened, no one too far gone, no one that has such a past that it's irredeemable. And we thank you Lord, for many of us on this, if not most of us. we've known you prodding us and calling us and drawing us home. We pray Lord for those of us that do know you that we continue to submit to you and call you Lord and take orders from you and be willing to give up whatever those things are that we find hard. We pray we would be like Ananias who would just we'd receive anyone and everyone you call. and we wouldn't we wouldn't have prejudices and two tears in our church. we'd just be one group where everyone is equal and everyone is loved anyone who calls you lord belongs to us lord and i pray for those here today that aren't sure about you or uh, have drifted or are not quite willing lord that you would just show them that it is the best way and that right now they'd be in their hearts just giving over everything to you again and finding a new purpose and a new joy and a new softening please do that by your holy spirit we pray this in your name amen
0: Amen.